You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right, good evening. Uh, Go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 29. So that's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Verses 26 through 29. Uh, and for those of you who are new, I see we've got a few visitors. We are continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark. What we do here at Revolution Church is we pick a book, and generally speaking, we walk through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, till we get to the end, and then we pick a new book, and we do it again. Uh, it's good. It's good. Uh, but a little FYI before we get going. Uh, starting next week, uh, we'll be taking a break from this study of Mark and spending five weeks looking at the doctrines of grace. Uh, more commonly known as the five points of Calvinism. Um, And for those five weeks, I won't be preaching. You're welcome. Uh, We've got some guest preachers lined up. Uh, We've got Brad Brandt from Wheelersburg Baptist Church coming to preach. Uh, Pastor, or sorry, Pastor Brad Brandt. Uh, Pastor Gary Chaffins from Grace Community at Bigelow Church coming to preach. Uh, Pastor Robbie Day from Grace Brethren Chapel. And our very own Pastor Stephen and elder candidate Dave Allison will be preaching as well. Uh, So I'll be taking this next month off after this week. I'll still be here to worship, obviously. It's the Lord's Day. We'll be here. Um, But I'll be taking this next month off to rest and recharge and get used to being a dad. uh, As my daughter should be born on October 31st. I'll be having a Reformation baby, Lord willing. So that's pretty awesome, right? Uh, But anyhow, that's enough of that. We're here to study the Word of God. You're not here to hear about my personal life. So let's go ahead and look at Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. We're taking a look at the parable of the seed growing. All right, now as I spent uh, the past week studying for this sermon, I found myself at first thinking that this parable was a bit simplistic. And what I mean by that is that that there's not much to see at first glance whenever we read this parable. Uh, But that was very foolish of me, right? I'm dumb. You all should know that. Write that down in your notes, Um, right? That was really foolish of me because while this parable is very simple, right, the the major point is really easy to see. Um, It is also incredibly encouraging to the people of God and is full of rich truth for us to sink our teeth into. It's a parable that gives us a big picture of the kingdom of God and God's sovereign work uh, of growing it by his word. Right? And whenever we say the kingdom of God, it's always good to define our terms. Uh, I'll give you the same definition I gave last week. The kingdom of God is the rule of God over the hearts and lives of his people. It's the rule of God over the hearts and lives of his people. And it's a spiritual reality right now. But in the future, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns bodily, it will be a much more physical reality as he reigns on earth with his people in the new heavens and new earth for eternity. Uh, but this parable is packed with the bigness of God and his power to grow and spread his kingdom as he wills and as he works in the hearts of people who hear the word that is the gospel proclaimed to them. So this parable is about the bigness of God as he works to grow his kingdom as he wills, as the gospel is preached to the world. Now I found this text to be incredibly encouraging as I pondered the meaning of this parable. That This parable screams to us that God will certainly accomplish his purposes. And that should really, really, really inflame our hearts toward God. That he will save a people for himself, for his glory. That the plan that he began with Adam and Eve will see its fruition. 
And he will use our preaching and our proclaiming of his word to do so. These things are a certainty for us. And as you'll see, the parable is going to tell us that there will definitely be a great day of harvest in the future when Christ returns. That God's people will be saved. And none of this, I'm already giving this away the whole sermon, none of this depends upon our ability to make the word effective in the lives of sinners. It doesn't. None of this depends upon our ability to make the seed grow. We only scatter seed, and God takes care of the rest. Right? So beautiful thoughts. We're going to see those in the text here in a minute. But just a little bit of a heads up tonight. Uh, I'm going to map out this sermon maybe a bit differently than normal. Some of you probably won't think it's any different than normal, but I do. Uh, so usually I try to make each point flow into one another as seamlessly as I know how. Uh, but tonight, I'm not doing that. Uh, I have five headings uh, I'm a good Calvinist, right? I have five points uh, that I believe are made for us in this parable that are really encouraging uh, and show us the greatness of God and his power. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to announce each heading as we come to it and make the point from the text and then expound on it a little bit, right? Kind of like an old school sermon. If any of you guys have ever read any of the old dead preachers, the greats, the Puritans, it's kind of got a puritanical format to it. You guys don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but my prayer is that God will bless his word and make the preaching of it effectual to convert the unconverted if we have unbelievers among us this evening and to encourage those of us who are in covenant with God through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that said, let's go ahead and read Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And he, Jesus, said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we come to you this evening gathered at your command on your appointed day to sit under your appointed means of grace, the word and sacrament. We come to you as your children that you have promised to feed and care for. So we ask you, not because we're worthy, but because of your mercy and your covenant promises to feed us by your word this evening. Open our hearts, Lord, to receive and believe what we just read. Open our minds to understand it. And Lord, by your spirit, apply the truth of your word to our hearts. Please grow us. By your spirit working along with your word, transform us more and more into the likeness of your son. Help us to believe your truth. Help us to live in the truth. Help us to love the truth. Speak to us now, we ask. We pray for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, so let's do some context, as we like to do, because context is king whenever we're interpreting the scriptures. Uh, for the fourth week in a row now, uh, let's go over the context that this parable comes to us in. For some of you, you already know what I'm going to say, because the context has not changed, because we are in the same day. <laughs> this is all describing, uh, this is still the same day, rather, uh, that the end of chapter 3 was describing. It's a day whenever Jesus had been slandered by the scribes from Jerusalem and accused of, be of being demon-possessed. It's a day when Jesus' own family had accused him of being a crazy person. It's a day when the crowds who are gathered, though they are large, arguably the largest crowds that Jesus ever preached to in his ministry, uh, they are not being receptive to Jesus' teaching. They've come out to see him heal, 
They've come out to witness miracles, but they have not, as I said last week, they have not come out to see and hear from the Son of God. They have not come out to be saved from their sins. They haven't come out to hear the message of the kingdom. They've come out to see miracles and maybe with some skepticism listen to this Galilean preacher speak a little bit. But in spite of all the miracles that they've seen Jesus do, these miracles that testify to the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is the king of the kingdom of God, that he is the son of God and second person of the Trinity, in spite of all the straightforward and authoritative teaching that they even said, we've never heard a man teach like this before. In spite of all that, they refused to believe in him. Basically, at this point in his ministry, nobody believed in him. Right? He was being rejected by the majority of those who heard him. Only the small group of disciples had come to him in faith. It was larger than the 12, but not more than 70, I would, I would argue. Small, small numbers of people are coming to him. As I've said multiple times before, the theme here in chapters 3 and 4 is one of belief versus unbelief. Most are not coming to him in faith. Most people are not accepting his message. And the thought comes to mind as we read this, because I know we're all prone to think this, and I would imagine his disciples are probably thinking this that day as well. Why aren't people believing? Why? It's so clear who he is. Why aren't people believing? I thought that, when think from a Jewish perspective of, of his disciples, I thought that when the Messiah comes, people would flock to him. I thought that everyone would recognize the son of David when they saw him, the true and eternal king of God's kingdom. I, I thought all would gladly come to him in faith. Has there been a mistake? Has there been a mistake? Has something gone wrong? Right? Like, what's the deal? What's the problem? What is going on? Why aren't people believing? Why is, doesn't the kingdom seem to be growing? I believe that it's in response to that kind of thinking that Jesus tells the parables in chapter 4. I think all of them are meant in some way to address that. This parable, like the others, uh, as I just said, is meant to answer that question. And not, not only that, uh, but I believe it's meant to encourage those who believe in Jesus it's meant to encourage them that even though the opposition to Jesus is great, and though many reject him, that God is still working out his plan and will certainly grow his kingdom. The parable of the seed growing is meant to remind us not to despair, that the kingdom is indeed growing, that people will indeed be converted, that the harvest will indeed come, and we can count on that. Right? Everything is right on time according to God's schedule and sovereign plan. Nothing is out of control. The kingdom will grow slowly, but it will grow for a certainty. Right? And it will someday be brought to full maturity and consummation when Christ returns. So one more note before we actually begin to dig into these headings. Um, you should know this. This parable is meant to be understood as a big picture. It's one big picture. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man scattering seed. It's not just the man scattering seed. It's the whole picture of what Jesus is saying here. So the kingdom of God is like this, if I could simplify it for you. It's like scattering seed, patiently waiting, God giving growth, and then the eventual harvest. It's, a, it's meant to be a big picture summary of the kingdom of God from the time of Christ in his earthly ministry all the way to the end of the age. He says this is what the kingdom is like. Scattering seed, waiting patiently, God giving growth as he sees fit, and a coming harvest. That's what the kingdom is like. 
But now we come to our first heading, right? I sound like a Puritan now. Now we come to our first heading. Um, In the kingdom of God, there is the scattering of the seed. Verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And the seed mentioned in this parable is the word of God, right? We, We saw this in the parable of the soils, right? And the ground that you throw it on are meant to be the four different kinds of soils the different kinds of people who hear the word. I, I believe that the parable of the soils is closely linked in imagery to this parable. Right? The imagery is the same, uh, while the overall the main point is different. I, I, I personally think that's why Jesus explained the parable of the soils first. So we could take some of the imagery from that parable and then better understand this one. Uh, but the seed is the word. It's the gospel. It's the word of the kingdom. The message of salvation. Now, I know you guys know this already, or at least most of you know this. We're going to talk about this. What is this message exactly? Because it bears repeating every time that we assemble together, because we assemble together to hear the gospel proclaimed. It's the message of salvation, the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, that Christ made atonement and satisfied the righteous wrath of God on the cross in place of his people so that they could be forgiven for their sins. This seed is the message that Jesus lived a sinless life in place of his people in order to make them righteous in God's sight. This seed that is the gospel is the message that Jesus, after dying in place of his people, was raised from the dead on the third day in order to prove that he had accomplished salvation for his people and as a first fruit of the resurrection of the dead. It's the message that the work of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, his perfect obedience, his propitiatory atoning death, and his life-giving resurrection will be given to all who look to him in faith, trusting that he saves them, trusting that in his life, death, and resurrection, and that Christ saves them from the wrath of God that they deserve for their sins and offenses against God. Or you could put it this way. It's the message of how to enter the kingdom of God, namely, by faith in the person and work of the king of the kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the seed. This is the word. And I want to be very clear, there is no other seed. There is no other gospel. Paul says, if anyone comes to you proclaiming a gospel, contrary to the one that I preached to you, let that person be accursed or anathema, damned, anathema. There is no other gospel. This gospel cannot be modified. There is no other message that God has appointed to be proclaimed to the world because there is salvation in no other name. Salvation is only through the Lord Jesus Christ and his work done to save sinners. This is the seed that is to be scattered and there is no other because no other message can save. No other message can bring people into the kingdom of God. Drill that into your head. This is what we proclaim. This is the seed. And it's the job of the man in the parable to scatter the seed. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And I want to highlight here real quick that this is really the only job of the man in the parable is to scatter seed. And I know what you're thinking. Verse 29 says that he puts in the sickle when the harvest comes. Um, And we can debate on that. There is some scholarly debate on this. Uh, But I don't want us to read too much into that. I think the picture of the harvest in verse 29 is meant to be... um, that, that main point, that there is a harvest, not necessarily that it is the farmer who does the harvesting. The fact that the farmer would do the harvesting just fits with the picture 
that Jesus is making here. All right, but again, we can talk about that. Uh, but throwing the seed of the gospel is really the only job of the man in the parable. So remember that. That's going to be important for us as we continue through the rest of these headings. So we see then, as I've said three times now, the scattering of the seed is the job of the people of God. That's what we see in the parable. The kingdom of God is as if one should scatter seed on the ground. Like the parable of the soils, early, in the first parable of this chapter, scattering the seed is symbolic of preaching the gospel. It is the job of the Christian, the citizen of the kingdom, to scatter the seed and to scatter it broadly. Right? Like the sower in the first parable. He's just taking handfuls of seed and throwing it all over the ground, letting it land wherever it may. And just let me put this to you. If you're a Christian and you, whenever you joined the kingdom, Christ gave you a bag of seed and said, throw it. And it's a bag of seed that doesn't run out. You're to keep throwing it your whole life. It doesn't run out. It's the job of the Christian to scatter the seed. If you're a citizen of the kingdom, this is your job and to scatter it broadly to grab handfuls of gospel truth and just throw them out to anyone who will listen. Not checking the soil first, not checking the person first to see whether or not you think that they're going to be receptive, but rather throwing the seed and letting it land wherever it will on whatever kind of ground it lands on. This is the primary job of the citizen of the kingdom. This is the primary job of the believer in Christ, to scatter the seed. Now, I want to be clear about something that maybe I've not been clear enough about in the past. And I, I want to apologize to, that, uh, to you if I've not been clear enough. This is going to look differently for different people. Scattering the seed is going to look different for different people. Not all people are called by God to do what I call official seed scattering, which is what I'm doing right now. Right? I'm really stretching this analogy a little bit. Right? Preaching the word formally on the Lord's Day. Very few men actually are called to do this job. But we are all called in some regard to be sowers. Parents will scatter the word into their children. Especially our mothers. Praise God for mothers who preach the gospel to their children, especially you stay-at-home mothers. Parents will scatter the seed into their children. Others will scatter seed into the unsaved family members that they, lived with, that they live with. Still others will scatter seed into extended family members as they're able and I would remind you the holidays are coming up. Go ahead and ruin those dinners with talks about Jesus. I'm serious. <laughs> or if you go to one of those families that likes to drink, wait till everyone's a couple drinks in and then just bring it up, see how, where that goes. I'm serious, though. Scatter the seed. Others yet will be more bold, like myself, not to sound arrogant. Others yet will be more bold and often scatter seed with strangers on the street, on the campus, in the store, wherever. Some still will scatter seed with their friends that they're close with and their co-workers. The, the work of declaring Christ to the world can and will often look differently for each Christian. It'll look different for each Christian. Some are going to speak publicly. Others will speak privately. Some will write letters. Some will write songs. Some will give out gospel tracts. And you can laugh at that if you want, but gospel tracts legitimately have led people to Christ if they accurately portray the gospel. It's just those chick tracks were awful growing up, weren't they? They're just terrible. But there are good tracks out there. You get the idea. It might look different for different people depending on your gifting, abilities, situations, personalities, and all the rest. It's going to look different. But please, I beg you, don't make that into an excuse for you to do no proclamation of Christ. 
just because your scattering of the seed looks different from me doing street evangelism, don't let that make you lazy. Be diligent in your calling. But this is our job, to scatter seed. We must preach the gospel, and we must preach it indiscriminately, scattering seed all over the ground. Now, some of you here might be thinking to yourself, right, because I, I got you, because I'm one of you. That sounds so cliche, doesn't it? You always hear this stuff whenever you go to church. You need to evangelize. You need to scatter the seed of the gospel. Look, and I hear you on that. Um, but nevertheless, this is the job of the people of God all throughout the Bible, right? It was God's plan for Israel that they would teach the nations around them about God. That all the nations would hear about Yahweh, the true and living God, through Israel. And now we, the church, who are the true spiritual Israel, what Paul calls the Israel of God at the end of Galatians, what he calls us the spiritual descendants of Abraham in Galatians and Romans, our job has not changed. God's plan for his covenant people has not changed. So the primary mission of the church, the true Israel of God, is to preach the gospel. It's to declare him. And point the world to Him. Now it sounds like a cliche, because it's always repeated in our churches. But it's always repeated particularly because the Word of God is so clear and says it so often. We must scatter the seed of the gospel. And Jesus says here that in the kingdom of God, there is the scattering of seed. There is the preaching of the gospel. So listen, we must get to work in that regard. We have to. It is our responsibility as citizens of the kingdom. We scatter the seed. But, though the work of preaching the word is our responsibility, that doesn't mean that there is no rest for us. That brings us to our second heading. In the kingdom of God, those who sow the word also rest. Verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. He sleeps and rises. And the seed grows, but he doesn't know how. The man in the parable scatters the seed, and then he goes to bed. He scatters the seed, and then he goes to bed. He rises the next day and lives his life, and then he goes back to bed. Day after day, he goes about his business. Day and night, he sleeps and rises. This doesn't mean, I want to be clear, this doesn't mean that the man is uninterested in what happens to the seed. Right? He's very interested. He's a farmer. He's very interested in what happens to the seed. He wants to see it grow, right? He knows there's a harvest coming, and he desires to see a good crop. Of course he's interested. But what this is, is this is a picture of letting the seed have time to grow and take root. It's a picture of patience, a picture of resting and waiting in faith. Now, this reminds us of something so soothing and beautiful and necessary for us to hear, and I'm going to repeat it a bunch of times before we're gone. We scatter the seed, and then we leave it with God. We scatter the seed and then we leave it with God. We indeed do the hard work of sowing. The grueling, awkward, sometimes dirty work of sowing the seed. We busy ourselves with the proclamation of the gospel. It is indeed the main business of the Christian. But at the end of the day, we must leave it with God. We must leave it with God. And why is that? Why must we leave it all with God? It's not because we're fatalists. But it's because we can't make the seed grow now, can we? You can't. No farmer in the natural world can make seed grow. They try. They have tricks and stuff that they do. But no farmer can actually make seed grow. 
in the natural world. Much less can we, spiritual farmers, if you allow me to use that analogy, spiritual farmers cannot make the seed grow in someone's heart. We have no option but to leave it with God in faith. We can't change hearts. Hear me. Hear me, please. I love apologetics, but you can't argue someone into the kingdom. You can't. You can't change their heart. I've tried. I've tried. You can't do it. Seriously, you want to be convinced of the sovereignty of God and salvation of sinners. Do apologetics and evangelize. I didn't change your heart, Farhad. God did. Nothing that I said could change you. God changed you. We try and persuade for sure. We give a defense of the faith. We tell people what we believe and why we believe it for sure. We preach the gospel. But at the end of the day, we are to go to sleep. We are to continue to live our lives in the calling that God has called us to. Day and night, we rise and go to bed, and we wait. And we wait in faithful expectation and patience that God will work. We rest in God's providence and in his will as we scatter the seed, just like the farmer in the parable. So Christian, what a blessed and beautiful picture for us. And I want you to take this and make this your pillow this evening. We leave the work of growing the seed to God. God has not called us to convert sinners, contrary to what a lot of people will tell you. He has not called you to convert anyone. He's not called you to save anyone. That power does not rest in you. The man in the parable is passive. That's actually one of the big points. He's passive through the entire parable except for scattering the seed. What a blessing this is for us to hear this. God has not called you to do the impossible. I've said it before, but I want that to encourage you. God has not called you to do the impossible. What he's called you to do is tell the truth about God and call people to repentance and faith in Christ. That's it. Scatter the seed. You can do that. We can do that. We can't, make, we can't change hearts. We can't make seed grow, but we can throw it. We can do that. And that brings us to our third heading, which is similar to the second. In the kingdom of God, it is God who gives the growth as he sees fit. In the kingdom of God, it is God who gives the growth as he sees fit. Verses 27 and 28. We're going to read these again and again. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. There's the hinge of the parable. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. So again, the earth produces by itself. As far as the man in the parable is concerned, the seed just grows. It just does. It sprouts and grows. He has no idea how, but it does. And even today, I understand that we understand germination and all that and science, but not being anti-science here. But at the end of the day, we don't know why a seed grows. It just does. We can describe that it grows, but we don't know why. We don't know why. The earth in the parable seems to produce by itself. The Greek here is the word automate, which is where we get the word automatically. The earth produces automatically. But scripture tells us elsewhere that it's God who causes the crops to grow, right? Like, duh, right? God is the one who's sovereign over life, and he gives life to everything, both in the natural world and in the spiritual world. So I think that what this is, is that it's an implied picture of God giving growth to the seed by his own will and power. And again, I think that word automatically clues us into this truth that it is God who is at work to give the seed growth. Not the man who scattered the seed. God is the one who's giving the growth. 
So brothers and sisters, it is God who makes the seed grow, not any farmer. Let me encourage you with this. No matter how good or bad at scattering the seed of the word of God that that person might be, it is not the farmer who makes the seed grow. It's all in the sovereign power of God to make it grow. It's up to God to expand his kingdom. And this is a huge foundational truth of our religion. Salvation is of the Lord. Write that down. Salvation is of the Lord, not of man. The growth of the kingdom of God, the conversion of sinners, the seed of the gospel taking root and bringing a sinner to Christ is all the work of God. Here's your $5 word for the evening. This is what we call in theology monergism. That's a strange word. It's a good website, monergism.com. You should check it out. Um, But it's a a merging of two Greek words, if that sounds strange. Mono, meaning one, and erge, meaning energy. Right? So monergism is the biblical doctrine that salvation is a one-way work of God. It is the work of one, namely the work of God alone. It is God who works the new birth. It's God who works regeneration in the heart of a sinner, not man. Not the man who preaches the gospel, and certainly not the sinner himself. That's nonsense. It's God who does this. It's ultimately, at the end of the day, or in the words of R.C. Sproul, in the final analysis, God who converts the sinner. Not the sinner's work in any way, shape, or form, and not the one who preaches to them. Now, monergism is at odds with the very popular belief called synergism. Sin, meaning disobedience to God. I'm kidding. Our brothers and sisters who are Arminian, are Christians. That was me being silly. Um, Soon, being a Greek word that means with, and again, erge, meaning energy. So this means to work with or work together. This is the belief that sinners must work together with God in some way in order to be saved. And this is completely unbiblical, as you're going to see here in a second. And you can see in the parable itself, God alone makes the seed grow. God is the one who makes the gospel grow. Right? Now, we don't deny that the sinner, I want to be clear here, make a little side note. We don't deny that the sinner in their conversion is willing to believe on Christ and willfully makes the decision to come to Jesus in faith. But what we're saying is that the ability and desire to come to Jesus in faith is only present in the sinner because God has done the work to make it happen. God has made the seed grow in their heart to make them willing and able to believe. So again, salvation is of the Lord. It's from God. It is his work. He's the one who makes the seed grow, not human beings. He's the one who gives spiritual life to the spiritually dead, the one who regenerates sinners and brings them to Christ in faith. Now, I just want us to look at three passages of Scripture that show us this truth very clearly. And I want you to see it for yourself so that you can rest in it. Maybe four passages, my bad. Even when we were... Dead in our trespasses, he, God, made us alive together with Christ. That's Ephesians 2, 4. God makes the sinner alive in this verse. The sinner was dead in their sin, spiritually dead, but God worked to bring them to life and unite them with Christ. In this verse, Ephesians 2, 4, the human is passive. God is the active agent in this sentence. We were dead, God made us alive. A second one, James chapter 1, verse 18. Of his, God's, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
By God's will, the sinner is brought forth, regenerated and saved by God and through the word of God as God made it effective. He brought us forth by the word of truth. We are the passive. God is the active. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, in this verse, God causes the sinner to be born again. Why? Not by anything the sinner does. By his mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And then lastly, and maybe most famously, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. God is speaking and he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's a lot of I wills from God. I do it, is what God's saying. It's his work to give a new heart, to give a heart that beats for Christ, that loves him and wants to honor him. And those are only four examples, right? Those were just the ones that came immediately to my mind as I considered the sovereignty of God to make the seed of the gospel grow. Let that be a testimony to us that in both testaments, right, all over the scriptures, this truth is thundered. Salvation is of the Lord. The seed grows because God causes it to grow. God converts sinners. It is the work of God to make the preaching of his word effectual to the elect. When I say the elect, I mean his people that he has chosen to save in eternity past. It is God's work to save his elect and make the word effectual to their salvation. And how does he do it? How? I don't know. And neither do you. The man in the parable knows not how the seed grows. John 3, the spirit blows where it wills. You don't know where it comes from. But God knows. And the seed indeed does grow. God works to make the seed of the gospel grow in the hearts of the people whom he has chosen. It is all of sovereign grace. That's always how the kingdom grows. That's how you join the kingdom. That's how, Lord willing, your children will join the kingdom. That's how those yet unborn will join the kingdom of God. It's always by his power, by his sovereign initiative to take the word of God and make it effective. It's always according to God's work that the kingdom advances, not ours. We scatter the seed, but ultimately it is not our work, not now, not then, not ever. It's God's work to grow his kingdom. And take cur- or t- be encouraged with this. It's not dependent on how good or bad you are at scattering the seed. It's wholly dependent upon God who gives the increase. So we look at this and say, soli deo gloria. Glory to God alone. God grows his kingdom for his glory to the praise of his glorious grace. And now in light of the power of God to give growth, we come to our fourth heading. The kingdom of God is patiently and faithfully optimistic. Patiently and faithfully optimistic. Again, verses 27 and 28. I'm just trying to highlight different parts of these verses. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Notice in these two verses that the seed grows. 
Remember, this is about, we're, we're focusing on being patiently and faithfully optimistic. The seed grows in these verses. It's an absolute fact. It's undeniable. It is stated in the parable that the seed sprouts and grows as God gives the increase. First the blade, then the ear, then the grain in the ear. Be encouraged. It will grow. It will grow. The seed will grow. God will make his word land home and find its place in the hearts of his people. Now, we want to be clear. This is not going to be all. We're not universalists. We don't believe that all people are going to be saved. Not all people are going to have the seed of the gospel growing in them. The parable of the soils made that clear to us. In that parable, one in the four different types of soil. And I'm not saying only 25% of the people you ever preached to are going to be saved. I'm not saying that. But, I mean, in that parable, clearly, not all who had the word preached to them were converted. But God will save some. He will. What a gracious promise that we have here. I mean that. What a gracious promise. God will save some. Though none deserve it, though all have sinned against God and offended His majesty and deserve the wrath of God, in spite of that, God is still kind and will save all whom He desires to save. And not only that, but though our preaching is so weak, is it not? Have you ever evangelized and you realize how, how do I explain the, the greatness of God how do I explain the terrors of the wrath of God how do I explain how do I have words adequate enough for the beauty of the gospel you don't but nevertheless through your weak preaching through your weak proclamation of the gospel and my weak proclamation of the gospel God is kind and mighty to save what a bold ground for our confidence to go out and scatter the seed the kingdom will certainly grow through the proclamation of the gospel Now, this means that contrary to the thinking of much that passes for Christianity in our day, we don't need to change the message to be more accommodating to sinners. We don't. We don't. We don't need to water down the truth of the scriptures regarding man's sinfulness or need for Christ. We don't need to change anything about the message of Christ crucified for sinners and the necessity of repentance and faith in him. In fact, we can't change the message. Why? Because any other message, any other gospel will not save. Not only that, but Paul calls it the gospel of God. It's not our gospel. It's the gospel we believe, but it's not our possession to modify it as we see fit. It's God's. And no other message will save sinners. To paraphrase Pastor Steve Lawson, you can't plant marbles and expect a plant to grow. It's corny, but you get the point. You can't plant marbles and expect plants to grow. You can't use false seed. You can't use corrupted seed. And you can't use dead seed. You must use the living seed, which is the word of God. You plant the gospel. But we don't modify the seed. We can't. And listen, we don't need to change the method either. What do I mean by method? I mean words. We preach. In some way, whether they be written or spoken, The method is words. The method is fine. Paul tells us, and I believe it's 1 Corinthians, that God has appointed that it is by the foolishness of preaching that he will convert sinners. And this preaching can be public like I'm doing now or private in a room, and all can preach some way. Just talking to someone about Christ is preaching to them. God has promised to bless his means, the word, and use it 
to grow his kingdom. So listen, we dare not shy away or neglect the very means and method that God has appointed and promised to bless. We need to change nothing. So we're optimistic that the kingdom will grow. God has given us the right seed, the gospel, and he's given us the right method of scattering it, proclamation. And he's given us the promise in this parable that he will cause the seed to find its place in his people, and it will grow. This should fill us with confidence in God and his promises and power that the kingdom will grow. It's a sure thing for us. But, and I'll leave you hanging in suspense. But, does this happen quickly? Does this happen quickly? Does this growth happen quickly? No. No, it doesn't. Does the seed instantaneously turn into a tree? No, the text says it sprouts and grows. How? First the blade, then the ear, then the grain in the ear. Slowly, but surely. I love that. Slowly, but for a certainty, the kingdom grows. And it's because of this slowness that we have to wait patiently and with faith. It's because of the slowness of the growth of the kingdom that we have to be patient and faithfully optimistic. Trusting the God who makes the kingdom grow to do his work in his time. Please hear me. This was encouraging for me to think about and a rebuke to me, honestly. We cannot be impatient and demand God to do things our way and in our time. We have to trust him to grow the kingdom and bring the seed home as he sees fit. So we have to forget about trying to see the fruit of our labors immediately. Please hear me. We have to forget about trying to see the fruit of our labors immediately. Pastor Steve and a few other men talked to me for a few years before I converted. They scattered the seed and they went to bed and they scattered the seed and they went to bed and they waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed and they scattered the seed and they waited. And God gave the increase when he saw fit. We have to forget about trying to see the fruit of our labors immediately. That's not what we see in the parable. Many days pass. It takes time for the seed to grow. So please, put that desire for immediate gratification out of your mind and leave the growth of the kingdom to the sovereignty of God and keep scattering seed. Hear me, this is a weird thought. I'm stealing this from R.C. Sproul. It doesn't even matter if we ever see the fruit of our labors in this life. I'm serious, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if you ever see any fruit in this life. We are still confident because God has promised that he is accomplishing his purposes by his word. So we are optimistic that God will do the work of growing his kingdom because he has promised. But we must in the meantime be patient and wait on him because crops don't grow in a day. And now we come to our final heading. In the kingdom of God, there is a great day of harvest coming. Verse 29, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now I'll be very brief on this final heading because it's very simple. At the right time, the harvest will come. When the grain is ripe, at the right time. This is a picture of the kingdom coming in all of its fullness and glory. The kingdom will one day be brought to its consummation as Christ returns. And what will happen? The harvest will be reaped. God's people will be gathered to him. The kingdom will be fully established. 
hear me, the labors of the sowers will be realized at the harvest. It will be gathered in and it will be glorious. God's people will be saved and the Lord of the harvest will be glorified forever. The coming fullness of the kingdom of God is a certainty is what this parable is telling us. And we should praise God for that. In fact, our sowing the seed is the promise of the kingdom's coming. Why do I say that? Hear me out. No farmer sows seed without believing that the harvest is coming. No, no, no farmer sows seed for no reason. Furthermore, we would not be commanded by God to sow the seed if there was not a harvest that we should be looking forward to that is a certainty. It is coming. And there will be abundant fruit. There will be great crops. There will be an untold number saved. John in Revelation says, I looked and I saw multitudes that no man could number. No one could number them. The harvest will be great. And it will all be because God sovereignly worked to bless the preaching of his word when, where, and how he saw fit. God will save his people. Many will be saved and Christ will reign forever with us. Or rather, we will reign forever with him, I should say. Now, I have two very brief things to say, for, to say by way of application. The first is this. To the unbeliever, if we have any unbelievers or false converts among us, are you part of this kingdom? Have you, have you come to Christ in faith? You've come to the end of yourself. And you want to be part of this kingdom. Have you come to him? Do you know you're a sinner? Sure, surely you do. You'd have to lie to yourself to say you're not a sinner. And let's keep it real. It is an awful thing to be a sinner. It means that you deserve the wrath of God because you've broken his law and you've offended his majesty. Surely you know what a vile, wretched sinner you are. But you should take comfort because Jesus Christ died for sinners. This is the gospel. He suffered the wrath of God in place of sinners on the cross so that their sins could be forgiven because he has taken their punishment in their place. Would you come to him? Would you trust him? Would you turn from your sin and turn to him? The Lord Jesus Christ is offering you entrance into the kingdom. He's done all the work for you. All you need to do is come to him in faith and you will be saved. It's not a stretch to say that Jesus Christ is making his appeal to you right now to come to him and be saved. He's offering you forgiveness and eternal life and entrance into his kingdom. Please, come to him and live. But the seed has been scattered this evening. In your hearing just now, it has been scattered. And it will be scattered more before we leave and the scriptures read and the songs sung and the sacrament that we're going to partake. Will you reject the word and perish under God's wrath in hell? Or will you respond to Christ in faith and live? I, I pray that you would believe on him and be saved. As God said in Isaiah, turn to me, all you ends of the earth, and be saved. For I am God and there is no other. It's no work to turn to him. Look to him, rather, and live. But second, Christian, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Our labor of scattering the seed is not in vain. It's not in vain. God will do his work. It's a promise from him. The growth of the kingdom is not up to us. 
It's not in our hands. It's all in the hands of the sovereign Lord, God Almighty, who is powerful to take our weak and feeble proclamation of Christ and use it to do mighty things. We have the word. We have the right method. And we have the promise of God that he will make it grow and there will be a harvest. So scatter the seed and do it with holy confidence and boldness. We cannot lose. The kingdom of God will advance. So do your work of proclamation and then go to sleep and rest in the work of God. He is faithful. He will do it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this word from our Lord Jesus Christ in Mark 4. We thank you for the promise that you are sovereign and we are not. That you are mighty and we are weak, but you love to take weak things and do amazing things. So God, we pray that you would let this message sink deep into our hearts, that those of us who are believers would be encouraged to declare the gospel to our friends and to our families and to our co-workers and to our children uh, and to strangers. God, whatever it is that you would have for us, whoever it is you've laid in our paths, that we would be bold not, and, and not confident in ourselves, but confident in the Lord of the harvest who causes all things to grow, that we'd be confident in you, God. The seed sprouts and grows. It's a certainty. The harvest is coming. It is a certainty. So God, give us holy confidence in you to go and do the work. And Lord, for any unbelievers here this evening, I pray that you would draw them to Christ that you would make the seed of the gospel that was preached to them this evening germinate and come to life in them that they would bear fruit and that they would be saved. You are sovereign and we trust you to do your purposes. Your word will not return to you void. It will do everything that you have willed for it. And we trust you and we rest in that. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.